In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Scott, how are you? I am doing really, really well, even better now that I'm spending this time with you, Pamela. Thanks so much for having me. It is such an honor to have you here today. I'm so thrilled to talk about the amazing work that you do and also your amazing book that you're launching super soon, which is super exciting. And I always start off with the most loaded question that there is, which is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? In a way, I think I've always been, even from a very young age, very interested in what we now call personal development. Just this idea of developing my potential and delivering on my promise. I had many inspirational teachers as a young man that made me want to always pursue better in myself and in the circles that I moved in. I would say that a real pivot for me in my adult life I've had several pivots in, you know, over over the ages that I've done many different things, but in 2016 I took a program of Seth Godin's called the Alt MBA. And that was a moment that made me decide to switch lanes from being a professional musician and guitar teacher and move into the domain of coaching and community leading. It took several years for me to develop the brand and develop the traction and the audience to turn that into my full-time endeavor. But at the end of 2018, 2019, I closed down my performance career. At the end of 2020, I closed down my guitar studio. This is what I do now. And so it was really just, you know, that very impactful program that showed me, it reacquainted me with my love of writing, my love of working with other people, and my desire to have as much impact as I'm able to have, you know, have now that I'm into the second half of life. I love that. And I always ask this. It's so interesting how they always correlate. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I don't think I had any childhood aspirations to be an astronaut or a cowboy or any of the usual things of my generation. Honestly, I grew up very close to where you live. And my father was in the service at first. And then he worked for the telephone company back when it was a monopoly. And we moved around a lot. And I, that caused me to always be like the new kid in the class. And that manifested in kind of acting up behavior. I I think it would be kind to say that I was definitely a juvenile delinquent and maybe headed towards juvie, as we say in your neck of the woods. And I had a, my parents, when I was in the seventh grade, kind of saw that if they didn't do something, things were not going to go well for me. And it turned out that in across the street from where we lived was the headmaster of a really small little private school that was in the town. They asked him if there was anything that he could do to help me, you know, attend the school where there was very small classrooms and very inspirational teachers. I got a managed to get a scholarship and get in. 
that completely changed my life because I went from being someone who always tried their best to do the least amount possible just to get by and to stay humble and hiding and unseen to being someone who was eager to raise his hand and eager to learn more. One of the stories I always tell is in seventh grade, we learned, got introduced to several different languages and one of those languages was Latin. And my Latin instructor would translate Marcus Aurelius quotes from Greek into Latin and then have us translate them from Latin into English. And I used to love doing those so much that I would ask him for more. Finally, he said, listen, quit bothering me, kid. Here's a copy of the book. Just read the book. That inspired me to want to be a teacher. And so when I went to college, it was actually initially to be a classicist or, or uh, you know, to teach classics. And I ended up becoming a history major instead. And when I first left college, I, I was a school teacher for several years. So it's interesting how that school kind of changed you a little bit. And was it a particular mentor or a teacher that really transformed you in that space? Because that seems like a really serious transformation, you know, from going to a kid that was headed to juvie to loving school and just turning it all around. So was there a particular person there? The middle school met in a separate building and we only had two instructors, two teachers, and one of them was a long-term teacher of mine because I, I pursued Latin as a, all the way through my four years of high school. And another was uh, that did not end up teaching there long-term, but was my English teacher and taught some other things. They just, you know, there were seven kids in the classroom. There was no place to hide. And that was a big deal for me because I was used to sitting in the back and keeping my head down. And to the point where at parents' night, when my parents asked how I was doing, none of my teachers knew who I was. That's how good I was at staying humble and hiding and, you know, not being noticed. So it was just really, I mean, it was almost like the Robin Williams character in Dead Poet Society. That's how inspiring these teachers were in my life. And so it was literally just, and I, and I had other teachers in high school and in college uh, and then mentors along the way beyond that, Seth Godin you know, who formed, created the Alt-MBA being another one of them. And then I always had Marcus Aurelius, who is, um, has been a lifelong influence on my work. So yeah, it's all really due to the luck of winning the teacher slash mentor lottery and having parents that put me in a position to be with those people for sure. That's incredible. I always say teachers are God's angels on earth, right? Like they can seriously, I mean, at the point where you were in your life, when it was either juvie or, you know, turn things around, like they have that type of influence. It's so powerful, especially in like the middle school and high school years. That's when your life is really defined in a way, right? Like you could really screw yourself up or you can really line yourself up the right yeah. way. And it's yeah. like, which route? you know, will you take? And honestly, the teachers and the schools are a huge part of that. I know for me, I was in, um, I was in public school up until I was in seventh grade. So it was seventh grade. And I transitioned to a, from a public to a private school and much, much similar to you. I got into that private school. And from there, I like totally turned around in public school. I was very shy, very, you know, like, low key. I didn't really want anyone to know I was. I was like a really shy kid and nobody believes that now. <laughs> They're like, there's no way you were shy ever in your life. And so, you know, going to a private school where you, like, I felt valued. Like I felt like they could see me, right? Like I'm a, I'm seen, I'm a person, I'm, I'm here too. And 
my teachers really brought out the best in me. And that's, you know, six months later, I'm running for class president, you know, going from the kid that was like hiding in the back, just like you to transitioning into like leadership and just building, you know, who I am today. So, which is so crazy. So it's just insane how teachers can play that role. And I'm not surprised, you know, that you shifted into that sort of shortly thereafter. I don't know if it was like this for you, but the other thing for me in all that was my parents invested in me. Like my parents actually had to sacrifice. I mean, I did get scholarship money, but I did. it was not a full scholarship. And my parents, you know, were typical middle-class parents. I mean, sending their, you know, saving for college and putting their kid through six years of private school before then was definitely a, a sacrifice and a burden. And I felt that like going into the starting, like, okay, I better make good on this because my parents are sacrificing and investing in me and I'm going to do the best I can with this opportunity. 100%. Yeah, my parents, I mean, they owned their restaurant at the time. And it's not like, you know, they weren't rich, but it was also still pretty expensive, like $10,000 a year to send me to private school starting from seventh grade all the way through high school. So just like you, six years. And then, you know, and then college and all that. Like, luckily, I got almost a full scholarship to college. Like I actually paid less for college than I did for high school, which is crazy. So that investment mm-hmm. was huge but it's like you know you feel like this responsibility to your parents like okay i need to do well so that they make their investment worth it the roi right the roi on the investment but on the intellectual side like you just can't what the schools can bring you because it's just like in a smaller setting you're just it's a lot more personal which is so Mm -hmm. cool i love that and then you transitioned into teaching which is remarkable and into history too what sparked your your love for history one of my teachers in high school was a history teacher, and he was a, a real inspiration. In fact, my very first teaching job. So this teacher moved from the school that I went to to another private school in Connecticut. And when I was graduating, I connected with him, and he helped me get my first teaching gig at this other school, you know, where where he was then teaching. And I, you know, I loved teaching, and I still consider myself a teacher, even though I've closed my guitar studio. I've Teaching and coaching is just, those are just human acts. Teaching is something you do on purpose to lift people up. And sometimes the best teachers are the ones that have a negative impact on our life. But we learn from from that experience, you know, kind of almost what not to do or earn resilience to that experience. But I had a, a really positive experience for the most part as a teacher. There were definitely, the thing that made me move away from teaching was in addition to the spending the time in the classroom and all that, you know, there there's just a lot of BS as there is in any institution or organization when it comes to hierarchy and administrative stuff and politics and, and that sort of thing. And at the three-year mark, I was kind of balancing like, okay, I like this part of it and I don't like this part of it. And if I decide now, uh, you know, that's kind of statistically the three-year mark is when people either get out or they stay in. And when they stay in, they stay in for 30 years. And I was like, I think there's other things that I could try. So that's, you know, that was my primary reason for leaving teaching. But again, I, I was a teacher on stage as a performer in the studio as a guitar instructor, homeschooled my two sons all the way through high school. So teaching has always been a part of who I am. Love that. And the music part, what inspired that side of you too? That's amazing. So when I went to college, I had a partial scholarship, um, a football scholarship. And even though I was going to a division three school where you would think that 
athletics would be in its rightful place, kind of secondary to the academics, there was a lot of pressure to do do things that were out of alignment with who I really was. So after a season of playing football and being really miserable, like I in high school, I loved playing football and I loved everything about it. At the college level, I learned to hate football and everything about it. And I had, for the first time in my life, I had like these this three-hour hole in my day that was normally filled with, you know, either practice or the weight room. And I had this guitar under my bed and I just decided, you know, I'm going to find, I'm going to learn how to play this thing. I took that guitar. I took a record that I was listening to that I really liked. I went to the music department and I literally knocked on doors and all the um, instructor rooms and said, hey, can you teach me to play like this? And another mentor appeared, my friend Carl Demo, who I'm still in touch with to this day, who said, yeah, I can teach you how to play that. And uh, I took lessons from him for, you know, four years in, in college. And we remain friends, you know, to this day. And still, when we get together, uh, play music together. But he, again, as a teacher and as a performer, he really showed me what being a musician really is about, which is not about fame and fortune. It's about serving the song and about presenting a gift to an audience to enhance their experience. And so after my teaching career, I bumped around doing a couple different things. And after my first son was born, I thought, you know, I think I'm ready to give this a go. I'm going to try this. I had a long conversation with my wife and I said, I want to give this a go. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it because we wanted to have a, a more children and I knew that was going to bring more responsibility. So I said, here's the deal. I'll do it for a year. And if I'm making enough every day to do it again the next day, I'll continue to do it until I stop making enough to do it the next day. And I'll just get another teaching job. I did that for 30 years. And that's, you know, and, and because I, my family was important, you know, I, I spent some time on the road doing a lot of touring decided that that was not the life that I wanted to live. So I was able to carve out this uh, career playing mostly locally, but playing in the best possible gigs uh, for the highest pay with the best players and, you know, doing the t teaching on the side, you know, earned a living. I wouldn't say it was a great living, but, you know, we bought homes, we bought cars, we put our kids through college. I mean, it was, you know, it was a living. Um, and I had, I had an incredible, I had an, you know, to my mind, I had an incredible career. You know, most musicians are not going to be Bonnie Raitt and Eric Clapton. They're going to be Scott who, <laughs> <laughs> um, and even, and even then not very many people earn a decent, a living that allows them to keep a marriage together and, and, you know, maintain a family and all that. So I just feel like I, that was, I was incredibly lucky and I also took it, I took it really seriously as a profession and as a craft. Um, but also I just, I had, I had fun every single night that I was doing it and I did it until it stopped being fun. And then I just decided that it was time to switch gears. I love that. I love that. And you just recently made that transition, right? You just said you just closed your guitar. Yeah, about three, three years ago is when I concluded my performing career. And just at the end of last year is when I um, shut down the studio for good. Of course, you know, with the pandemic, we had moved from in-studio to online. Again, very lucky. Almost all of my students moved online with me, and the ones that didn't, you know, I was able to replace 
but my coaching and community and my work with Seth Godin has, towards the end, I was working what felt like three full-time jobs. And I am capable of working really, really hard, but three full-time jobs for a period of three years was a lot. And so it was just felt like time for me to conclude, you know, the whole kind of musician phase of my life. And I did that, you know, there's a lot of sadness, obviously, because I was really, I had worked with, you know, wonderful students and became almost, you know, adopted by many, many families. And I've made a real impact on this community. And at the same time, because I had done good work and because I had given myself fully, I was able to also close that part of my career. And, you know, we all shed a few tears, but it's not like I'm going anywhere. So we're, we're still friends and neighbors. Yeah, no, I love And thank you for sharing that. Some of the hardest things to do, you know, is I know there's entrepreneurs listening that may be struggling with this, is learning to accept when it's time. Mm. Like that for me, like I remember my first business, I had two restaurants before I got into real estate development and I held on to them for a while until I sold and leased them. And it was just like holding on to like, it was your babies, right? And then like, you just couldn't, I like couldn't give it up. And like, I finally, it just, something inside me was like, Pam, you cannot advance any further and impact the world. If your cup is empty, you need to let go. So I'm just interested to know, like for you, what was that transition period like? And for any entrepreneur, anyone out there who's listening that might be going through something similar of like holding on to something that really should be let go and kind of how you walked through that. I think what we're talking about is sunk costs. I mean, there's, you know, I invested fully in being the best musician I could be and hiring the best musicians that I could afford and that were available and playing the best venues that would give me the privilege of playing there. When young people say, how did you do it? How do I do it? I want to do that. I always remind them like that two or three hours that you spend on a stage, if you're, you know, kind of a local hero type musician or, or an hour on a festival stage or showcase, you know, that's like one tenth of the time that you're putting into the business of being a musician because there's all the phone calls to book the gigs, there's all the travel, there's all the, you know, band management and everything that goes along with that. I tell people don't do it if you don't if you can not do it, don't do it. Do it on the side, have fun. Let it be your hobby, let it be something that you just do for the pure joy of it. For me, I just couldn't not do it. Every I tried twice in my career to just put my guitars under the bed and say, okay, I'm going to go back and get a straight gig. On both occasions, my wife said, uh-huh, I'll give you two weeks. <laughs> and within 10 days, I was back on the phone hustling gigs and, you know, put, putting things together. I just, I couldn't not do it until there was a moment where I realized, you know what? I feel like I've ridden this pony as far as It'll take me. I've had a blast. Yeah, I've got 30 years invested. That was, that's a sunk cost. That's a gift from my former self to my current self. And I'm going to thank my former self for the 30-year the journey. And I'm going to say goodbye to that for now. And I'm going to pursue this other thing and just see where it takes me. And so I think I was having a conversation with Jacqueline Novogratz on my broadcast about this. Jacqueline is the founder of the Acumen Fund and wrote a fantastic book called The Manifesto for a Moral Revolution. And she was talking about reinvention. And I think been thinking about this a lot too. Like, oh, I reinvented myself from juvenile delinquent to high-performing student to student athlete to teacher to I was a restaurant manager for several years, you know, to musician to uh, and now, you know, kind of coach and author. And then I thought, oh, actually, that's not reinvention. That's just me becoming who I'm going to become. Because all the way through that, 
as you know, we were talking about earlier, I've been a teacher. I've been a coach. I've always been a person that helps people get from where they are to where they want to be. And sometimes that's by being a teacher. Sometimes that's by being a restaurateur. Sometimes that's by being a salesperson or, or whatever it is. But it's just this long journey in becoming. And Jacqueline is someone who's had a similar like series of adventures that don't seem very connected at first blush. But when you look at the through line, you can see. So it takes a lot of, I think it takes some self-awareness and self-reflection, but also some courage. Because if you're going to break something that's been working for a long time so that you can become a better version of yourself and do better work with better clients, you have to break what you've been doing. What got you where you are won't get you where you want to go. And I've known that for a long time, just from my musical adventures. And so, you know, for me... It was not a hard thing to say. I'm done. It's been fun. Thank you very much. And now I'm going over here. That said, I'm a freak. And for most people, sunk costs are a real anxiety-ridden thing that, that's very hard to let go of. Absolutely. And this is a perfect segue into your book called Onward. <laughs> And so tell me all about that. So when I had my kind of mo that moment of transformation in, in the Alt MBA in August of 2016, I knew I was ready to let go of my music career and my teaching career. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do next. I knew it was going to be around creativity and my lifelong um, study of Stoic philosophy. I didn't know what to do with it, so I literally just started blogging and broadcasting about what I was building, even though I didn't know what it was that I was building. And those conversations and all that writing helped reveal what is now creative on purpose. And I've written several handbooks now, and Onward is a follow-up to my previous Amazon top seller, which was called Endeavor, which was all about discovering the meaningful work that you can and should be doing, not necessarily as your job or occupation, but it can be a passion project, side hustle, vocation, whatever. Onward is about the mindset and posture of a difference maker, someone who embraces uncertainty and navigates adversity and understands that work that's worth it is always fraught, but you can still cultivate joy even as you lean into the inevitable challenges and the trials and the tribulations because you can be unattached to outcomes beyond your control and fully invested with intention and integrity and the effort. And it's a book about learning something that's been part of every spiritual and philosophical tradition that I'm aware of, which is you can't control outcomes, even though in the United States we love to think that all of our success is due to our genius and hard work. There's lots of luck and quite a bit of privilege involved in that too. But when you pay attention to the work that's right in front of you and you put your best efforts forth and you do the work with a intention and with, you know, staying true to yourself and your values, then generally good things happen. Even if you don't get exactly what you want, you'll get somewhere great because you are doing your work on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose, with and for the right people. And when you're doing that, good things are going to happen. So Onward is just a book about cultivating that kind of posture and mindset that will help anyone that's ready to lean in or level up in an endeavor that matters do so with less stress and a little bit more joy. I love that. I love that. So what would be some of like your sneak peek top tips? 
So the book is actually a retelling of three principles of Stoic philosophy, the disciplines, three disciplines, the discipline of perception, the discipline of action, and the discipline of will. The book gives you a process of three, just answer three questions. What's now? What's next? What's it for? What's now is what's really going on. Not the stories you're telling yourself and the lies you're telling yourself about how everything is so unfair and how everybody's conspiring against you, but like objectively, without any strong emotional attachment, without any value judgment, what's actually going on? And when you can do that, then you can see the possibilities and the choice, the, the real choices ahead of you. And that leads you to the discipline of action, which is making the best decision that you're able to because you know that decisions are not attached to outcomes, that decisions are just decisions, and any decision can lead you somewhere good or somewhere bad, but it will always also lead you to an opportunity to make another decision. So it's about making the best decision that you're able, but then to act on that decision, and then the what's it for is to understand that since the results are not guaranteed, and you are certainly not entitled to any outcome, it's all about the quality of your effort and the intention and integrity that you bring to the process. And if you can do that, you will always have a sense of fulfillment and prosperity in the work that you're doing as you continue to lean in and pursue excellence in whatever your endeavor is. I love that. I love that. And how long has this book sort of been in the in the works? I published in uh, November of 2020. It, on Thanksgiving Day in the United States, it's my favorite holiday, and it's the second time I've published a book on Thanksgiving Day for no good reason than it's my favorite holiday. And it achieved best new release in five, five or six categories, still selling really well to this day. Uh, it's become uh, one of my online courses, a creative on purpose, and it's you know it's my my latest billboard. I always I don't think of my books as like. I mean, they do obviously make money, but I don't think I'm going to ever retire on my publishing income. But um, each book is sort of a calling card and a business card for what I'm doing now. And so Onward has become what I talk about when I you know, do speaking engagements. It's become a workshop that I present online uh, for corporations and institutions, but also for just you know individuals who are interested in this idea of, you know, how can I find the intersection of who I am, what I'm good at, and where I belong? And how can I craft an endeavor that will provide me with, that will help me forge meaning, bring ful fulfillment, and uh, build identity, and help me, what we call a creative on purpose, live my legacy. Legacy isn't what you leave behind. It's the difference you're making right now. I love that. Legacy is what you're building right now. I think that that's so impactful and profound. Well, thank you. It's been a very resonant message uh, and probably the most often quoted line from the book. Really? Oh, man. that It just like spoke to me right when you said it, because I'm like, you know, most people think legacy is what you leave behind. And it's actually could be framed like you just said. What are you doing now? Right. What difference are you making now? And these are well, super important questions. You, you know this as an entrepreneur. People don't buy what you do. It's not the features and benefits. People buy the way you make them feel and the, the experience that you're that's on offer. And so, you know, it's not, you know, if you leave behind a building with your name on it or a statue of yourself somewhere, nobody's going to give a rat's behind about that. But if you have 
had an impact on the culture, even just within your community or neighborhood. If you've made a difference, you know, that was one of the reasons why I went into teaching guitar. It was like, okay, I've really had fun being a performing musician, but I don't think people are going to be pulling my CD off the shelf 20, 30, 50 years from now and playing me on the radio. But I had this opportunity where if I do it long enough, I could create hundreds, if not a thousand guitar players. And that will make the world a healthier and happier place. And so for almost 20 years in this little town where we live, that's what I did. And I easily, um, over the years, created um, hundreds of guitar teachers, many of whom are creating more, more guitar players. And so, you know, this thing that we know scientifically, neurologically, psychologically makes us smarter and happier is rippling out. You know, you talk about return on investment. My friend and I are playing around with other options, and I'm currently playing with ripples of influence, ripples of impact, you know, and that's what matters, not how much, you know, how much capital I've amassed and I'm going to leave behind. It's about what's the impact? What's what difference did I make while I was here? I love that, Scott. I love that so much. And I mean, what I find so amazing about that too, is that ripple effect. You know, sometimes we could feel so small in this big world, but what we don't realize is how much we're all bonded together, how one action that you can make can truly make a difference and make a change, right? So when we're thinking about these major life decisions, it's, you know, your book, I think is really going to help people get in alignment and live a more fulfilled life. Because if you're thinking about all these things and you become self-aware that like, wow, because I did this, it affected someone this way, you know, and it has this giant ripple effect, then it might change the trajectory of their career, which, you know, their life path, which is so exciting. So I'm pumped for you, my friend. Now, one of my favorite questions is based on everything that you know now, what would your older self tell your younger self? I love that question. It, it reminds me a little bit of on another show I, that I was asked, what What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I just thought, oh, that would be, I would never want to know whether or not. If I had an opportunity to go back and I just, I don't think that life can be reversed engineered. I think every path that could have been is a path that can be filled with prosperity and fulfillment and joy. Um, even when there, there's a lot of challenge and when the way is very fraught. I think if, stop beating around the bush and answer your question, I think I would just tell my younger self, keep showing up and keep doing your best. I love that. And just keep going. Onward. Onward. There you go. Keep going <laughs> onward. I love that. And then you mentioned, you know, mentioned your book and, you know, but what else are you up to these days? You know, you mentioned some digital courses and some programs that you're offering. So what is Scott up to these days? So right now, about a third of my day is dedicated to being head coach for a few of Seth Godin's Akimba workshops. Akimba workshops are now an independent B Corps, uh, but the, the workshops that I'm a head coach in are Seth Godin is the featured instructor. And so right now I'm head coaching the creatives workshop. And later next month, I'll be head coaching a freelancers workshop. I love... That work, Seth Godin obviously has a much bigger platform and megaphone than I do. And so I get to, I get to have an impact at a scale that I would not be able to have on my own by um, being a coach in his programs. And I really enjoy that work. And I'm very grateful for the work that I get to do there. The other two thirds of my day, I am spending with my coaching clients in my community at Creative on Purpose. I'm what I call 
I'm a compass for advancing difference makers who are ready to live their legacy. So I work with a lot of freelancers and a lot of executives that are or professionals that are approaching or, you know, at retirement and are ready for that second act that's going to be where they, you know, they make instead of the status and, and the money, they're ready for having some influence and living their legacy. And that keeps me, those two things keep me plenty busy, but I'm still finding time to blog a couple of times a week and broadcast every week and definitely have my next book kind of percolating um, in the back of my mind. So if anybody wants to keep up with any of my adventures, creativeonpurpose.com is the place to go. You can sign up for a free mini course called Make a Bigger Impact by Making Better Decisions. And uh, it's basically a very distilled version of uh, what I teach in Onward, just about how to be a more decisive and intentional change agent. And now, Scott, where can everybody find you? Creativeonpurpose.com all day long. I'm there all the time. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the amazing work and everything that you're up to, Scott. Truly is an honor to have you here today. And I'm just pumped to see what comes next in your future and just all the amazing work that you're doing. Just thank you for bringing that. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. You're a a great interviewer, but I also have been checking out the difference that you're making. And I want you to know that the work that you do matters. It's making a difference. It's deeply appreciated. I think it's people like you and people like me at the grassroots level doing this kind of impactful work and making a difference peer-to-peer with and for the people we find ourselves with. This is how we're going to make things better. Just grateful for the way that you show up every day and make the difference that only you can make. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.